and welcome to this special episode of A Woman's Place. This podcast is a collaboration between The Local and Invest.com. I'm the local Sophie Miskew and today we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. We're reporting live on location at Almadalen, Sweden's annual political jamboree that takes place on the very Swedish and very scenic island of Gotland. Last year more than 40,000 politicians, journalists, lobbyists, business owners, influencers and innovators flocked here to the world's largest democratic meeting place where they discussed social issues and hosted over 4,000 events during the week-long gathering. The weather's glorious and the location is stunning, so you can't blame pretty much anyone who's anyone in Stockholm for being here too. We're here to bring you a slice of the action and talk to a few of the people continually working to make sure Stockholm is, and remains, a woman's place. anyone could deny that the world of finance is still unfortunately a little bit of a boys club. I'm here with entrepreneur and investor Margareta Neld and public relations expert Anne-Sophie Olsen who are two of the three founders of Asinur Invest. Hi to both of you. Hi. Hi. Nice meeting you. And do you guys come down here every year? Yes, for the last six years I've been here. Actually I, I have been here since uh, the days of Olof Palme as I work with uh-huh. public relations those days. I've been been here for well many 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 years uh-huh. <laughs> and I love it. So you're seasoned Almadalen goers. <laughs> always. <laughs> I start my vacation after Almadalen always. So it sounds like you both have your fingers in a lot of pies but one of your most recent ventures has been co-founding Asinur Invest which is a platform that educates women in investing so they can gain more control over their capital. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what Asinur Invest does? Well, we do, like you say, we do training and we welcome the women who are interested to learn more about investing because the the reason why we do it is because there are too few women investors in Sweden and the women have capital and we want the women also to use the capital to invest in companies. And we have seen that there is a lack of knowledge on how it is done. So that's what we are going to try and help with. And when women invest uh, with capital in in different companies, they can take a place in the board as well. So what we really need to to uh, prevent is more women in the boards. So why is there? Why should women be on boards to begin with? Yeah, why shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Why shouldn't they be investing in different companies? Because there are too, there are so few women uh, investing, and uh, we think. Uh, that is uh, companies with more women in the boards and, and in the management teams is, uh, is uh, getting better than without women. Yes, and we also have a society with 50% men and 50% women. And why should women be excluded? And with the all things changing, and it's changing very fast, you need to have a management team and board that also is looking around what is happening in order for the company to find the right strategy. You need diversity in, in, in these issues uh, to be able to meet all challenges for the company. And there are also, of course, findings that we know where you have more uh, equal boards and management teams that those companies grow faster and and, uh, earn more money. So why not? Why do you think women have been traditionally put off investing or why why aren't there enough women on boards? It's probably because uh, in a family, or it used to be that the the husband in the family 
handed the money, the family's money. But more and more women have their own money and they have money that they can, can use for, for example, investing. Yes, and I also think it's a, an industry, the finance industry is traditionally male-dominated. Uh, you don't find many women working in that industry. So I think it's, like we said, it's a lack of knowledge. Uh, it's not the lack of interest. Uh, we've seen when we do the courses, we have full courses, and when women understand the vocabulary and understand the system and the process, they feel at home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, they didn't even get the idea to, to take the money money to invest. They, they have money, but they want to do other things and they didn't have the idea. So when they meet us or, or our other partners, they say, yes, that's what I can do. It's like a new idea. Mm-hmm. So what are they missing out on if they don't invest? Um, the network, first of all, the network, uh, and uh, it's a challenge to, to earn more money, of course. That's what it's all about. Uh, they miss out a lot of uh, possibilities to see also to be close to companies that grow because if you invest in a company you become also an owner and you can be more close to the company and see what is happening you learn new things and you are also there to influence the company's future and uh, give ideas and advice and and, uh, the women we have met and who are in our network they're very generous also with other competence not only money but they have been uh, working as CEOs, CFOs, marketing managers, entrepreneurs. They have so much they want to also um, give to the company. Um, so I think we have such a resource that we should use to, to grow the companies in Sweden. Mm-hmm. What sort of women should be seeking help from Asinur Invest? It's not help. It's more coming into the network and then they can um, walk through the education and then uh, go with their money into the investment platform. So it's helping each other to understand more and to, to start investing from the beginning. You've set up Essendon Invest in Stockholm. Would you describe Stockholm as a good city to launch something like this? It's perfect. It's a perfect city to launch. What we also see is that there is a big interest outside Stockholm as well. So we are also starting now regional networks uh, outside of Stockholm. But, you know, uh, Stockholm is the city of innovation. And uh, you have so many networks, you have so many contacts, you have so many, so much support in Stockholm. So to start up there is the best, I think. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for your time and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week at Almadalen. Thank, Thank you, you for having Thank us. You. Thank you so much. travel a little further afield now to get a broader perspective on what life is like for women who aren't as fortunate as women living in Stockholm. Plan International is a charity that advances the equality and rights for girls around the world. I'm sat here with Agnes Björn, who is Acting Programme Director at Plan International Sweden, which is based in Stockholm. Agnes, you've just wrapped up a seminar discussing the forgotten teenage girls in conflict and crisis. When we talk about that, where are are these crisis zones that we're talking about? 
Unfortunately, today we live in a quite um, disturbing and conflict-affected world. So you find them in so many different places around the globe. For example, some of them are really close to us. Um, we have the whole Middle East that is more or less on fire, where you find both Iraq, Yemen and the whole Syria conflict going on. But you also have many different crisis zones around the world, such as South Sudan, or if you look at uh, the Lake Chad area where Boko Haram is uh, being very active, or if we look at Bangladesh and Southeast Asia where you have Rohingya people moving from uh, Myanmar into Bangladesh into refugee camps. Mm -hmm. So what is Plan International helping to do young girls in conflict zones? So the main thing that we do is, first of all, we listen and talk to adolescent girls and try to identify what their needs and their rights are and make sure that the, those needs and rights are actually met. And if we know what they need, then we can act. So that's the first thing that we do. We specifically target adolescent girls in that sense and make sure that their voices are heard. And then we actually create um, and adapt our programming around that. So we make sure that we have activities that meet their rights and needs, which could be access to education, which could be access to protection from exploitation and abuse, trafficking. It could also be protection from being actually married off way too early, being forced to marry someone that you really don't want to marry at all. But it could also be having uh, a job, getting access to a livelihood and an income so that you are more self-sufficient and can actually take your own decisions later in life. What's the average day like in the life of a girl in living in one of these conflict zones? So one of the major things that we have done this year is that we are doing a research uh, series together with the university and uh, gathering stories and actually making evidence of what the situation is like for adolescent girls in South Sudan, in the Lake Chad crisis, in particular in Nigeria, Northeast Nigeria under Boko Haram, and in refugee camps in Bangladesh of Rohingya girls. And what they are saying is that, first of all, life is very restricted. So movement outside of their tent or outside of their shelter or their small house of where they are staying is very restricted. They don't feel safe going out and they feel like the community around them is not protecting them in that sense. They don't have access to education, which is the second thing. Uh, very few of them actually go to school. For example, only 28% of the Rohingya girls that we interviewed went to some type of, some type of school. And thirdly is that many of them are not feeling very well mentally. So when we interviewed the girls in South Sudan, uh, one-fourth of all the girls that we interviewed said that they had thought about suicide this last year, which means that their psychosocial support needs are enormous. And the way that conflict and crisis is impacting on the Asant girls and their view of the future is really, really present, and we need to take action on that now. And how do you prioritize which areas to focus on? So Plan International works in about 73 countries around the world. Uh, and we do establish new country offices or new offices to res in other parts of the country where we are not present to respond to the needs and the rights of adolescent girls where it's needed. And this is, of course, a very tricky situation of just getting access to the area, uh, you know, being safe to be able to work in that area because some of these areas are actually very unsafe. But then secondly, it's about getting funding for it. And there, both the public as well as the governments have a huge role to play in actually funding our work and supporting us to be able to reach out and and get out there and do our job so we are 100% dependent upon also the goodwill of well the general public to support us 
But how many girls are we talking here? How many girls around the world are being affected by crisis and conflict at the moment? So it's difficult to calculate in terms of exact numbers because some of the some of the definitions is also complicated to make. So if we talk about number of refugees, uh, we say that it's over 60 million refugees in the world today and half of them are children under 18. So that means that half of the population is children that we actually need to meet. And many or millions of these are adolescent girls that are living in this crisis. And they are living in refugee camps in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Tanzania, in Nigeria, in Cameroon, but also in refugee camps in Europe. They are in Greece, they are in Germany, and they are in Sweden. Can you give us an example of how Plan International has helped girls around the world? So one of the very concrete examples that I can give is um, maybe if I tell the story about Grace that I met last year when I was working within the, um, uh, within the response that we are doing in Northeast Nigeria for um, well, supporting girls that have been affected by the Boko Haram conflict. And Boko Haram is such a horrible organization in that sense that they target specifically adolescent girls. And what they do is they attack especially girls' schools and they kidnap the girls and then they burn the schools and they kill the teachers. This has happened to thousands of schools in Northeast Nigeria over the last few years. And Grace was one of those girls that got kidnapped. So she lived under the captivity of Boko Haram and was forced to become a bride of one of the Boko Haram fighters and repeatedly raped over several years and then also got pregnant and had a baby. But after about two years, she uh, was able to escape during one of the rides that was conducted against Boko Haram. And she was then um, sort of returning back to her community where we were working as well. So our role in this, in this very particular conflict and this extremely exposed situation that she was in was to support her to reintegrate into her society. To support her, first of all, with psychosocial support, support with the baby that she had, that the community around her would call bad blood because it had Boko Haram blood in it which is also of course very very stigmatizing for a girl that is 15 years old which Grace was and thirdly it was about getting her back into education so that she could be a child herself again mm -hmm. you know she had a child but she was also a child herself 15 years old is no age in that sense so getting her back into school and also getting her back into sort of getting some of the life skills and the vocational training so that she could actually you know support her herself in the future in that sense. And then the third initiative that we do and the way that we supported her is, is creating this culture of protection around her. So we had safe spaces where uh, other adolescent girls could also meet and they could discuss about their experiences and they had counselling in that sense but also have discussions with the communities and the families around them of how they could support the girls to be reintegrated into society and also how to remove the stigma around these girls that had been been, uh, abducted and then forced to live with Boko Haram for a few years and that it's not their fault they are just children and they were abducted mm -hmm. they need to be supported in every way possible that they can mm -hmm. for them to be reintegrated and to have a you know long and fruitful life after this as well and to sort of bounce back in that sense. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you still in touch with Grace what's life like for Grace now? So Grace has uh, at the moment she has, uh, she's doing fine and she has uh, successfully sort of reintegrated I know that it's a very, very long process, um, but she's attending 
attending school and she's doing she's doing okay and she's not in sort of the na- the same traumatized stage as she was when when I first met her mm-hmm. so it's definitely improvement but there's still a long way to go I would say mm-hmm. I mean you're doing some amazing work as a Swede what inspired you to start working with Plan International so I was already as a child very interested in the world um, I wanted to see the world I wanted to uh, travel and meet new cultures and new people and I was very excited about this and this is definitely from my parents because they have also had this sort of interest and gave me the opportunity to also meet other people also in Sweden um, and get to know new people from other cultures um, so that was sort of my first choice in life was that I wanted to work with international and global questions and um, I started off after university after I had done uh, studies in this particular area I started working globally and left Sweden and then was out for about 10 years of working in different countries and both for the UN and also for other civil society organizations and uh, um, child rights and especially girls rights and gender equality is very close to my heart because I do think that that is the way forward for a better society for everyone if we have a more gender equal society then it will be better not just for girls and women it will also be better for boys and men where they will also have more space and less uh, preconceived ideas of how they need to behave as well Mm -hmm. so it's just sort of creating that space and uh, availability for people to decide for themselves of how they want to live their lives you mentioned before we had the interview before we started the interview that you've been back living in Stockholm again for a couple of years but what's it like for you now when you travel to these areas Mm. Well, there's definitely, uh, there's part of a cultural shock when I go out and I see like, oh shit, yeah, this is what it's like for a lot of people in the world and it's completely unacceptable. But for me, since I've worked also many years in this type of settings before, it's also a little bit about like coming home and feeling like, okay, this is where I can make the most use of my my expertise and my competence. Um, so it's this mixed feeling of, again, being reminded of how well Sweden is functioning, of course, and how stable Sweden is in comparison comparison to many other parts of the world Mm -hmm. but secondly also that uh, that we need to do more like we really we have the opportunity to do more and we should do more Mm -hmm. we shouldn't just you know sit and wait and think that uh, uh, that the world will fix itself because most probably it won't and everyone can do something and we can actually contribute of just finding the way to to make the world a more gender equal more peaceful place that is not destroyed by climate change so uh, it gives me inspiration as well to go out and see see all our colleagues all our volunteers and all the girls and boys that participate in our activities because they are the ones that are creating the change on the ground together with us Agnes thank you what you're doing with Plan International is incredibly inspiring and I hope you have a fantastic week at Alma Darlin <laughs> thank you so much In the fall of last year, women around the world banded together to call time on the harassment they had faced both personally and professionally. The Me Too campaign spread like wildfire and revealed the unpleasant truth that the vast majority of women felt that they had, at some point, been discriminated against as a result of their gender. 
If we learned one thing from the Me Too campaign, it's that for real change to happen, men have a big role to play, particularly men in senior positions who have the power to instigate that change. I've managed to get a few moments with Lars Joran Andersson, who is the CEO of Cooperative Housing Federation, HSB Yotaburi. Lars Joran has just wrapped up a seminar organized by his company entitled Women Say Me Too, What Do the Men Say? Hi, Lars Joran, thanks for your time today. Hello. Perhaps you could just give us a quick overview of what the seminar was about. Yeah, um, this uh, this seminar was in uh, Almedalen today and uh, we were only men uh, talking about uh, how we can make a change in these questions in leading position men and how we can uh, uh, move this question forward and being good examples for uh, um, our organizations. Do you have any examples of how HSB Yotabori is working to achieve equal opportunities for men and women within the company? Uh, we are far from where we want to be, that's for sure. But uh, we have started the work with bringing about change. Uh, it's an ongoing process. Uh, our aims is to focus on getting the best co-workers on equal conditions, no matter uh, what gender or background you have. Mm-hmm. So would you now describe your company as a woman's place? Not yet, mm-hmm. but hopefully in a few years, yes. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, we have uh, um, started the work, yes, we have, but we have to do some, um, yeah, we have to do some more, yes. Mm-hmm. What, what advice would you give to other companies who, who feel that they have more work to do improving their situation for women? Start with the management, uh, being equal in the management group. I think that's the best way to start. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, uh, also include it in uh, the business plans, uh, in in, uh, education, in uh, recruiting and so on. Uh, And and keep the the talk, Mm -hmm. talk about it, Uh, be there, act Mm -hmm. when it happens, things in the organization. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I've managed to grab a few minutes with Krista Modig, who is the Vice President Radio of Nordic Entertainment Group. Krista is a veteran of MTG, Sweden's leading international entertainment group, and spent over seven years as the CEO of MTG Radio. Hi, Krista. Good to Hi. meet you. You've had a pretty rock and roll career. What's the most rock and roll story that you can recount throughout your time working in radio? Well, I was I was working at a radio station in Los Angeles, and uh, um, uh, the promotion director came in and said, uh, Eddie Murphy wants you to play at his private party. Uh, so I you know, got my things together. Uh, we came to this weekend where we were going to go and play. And I get to the radio station the Friday before, and the uh, promotion manager calls me back into the office, and he goes, you know what? They called from Eddie Murphy's management, and they asked me if you were black. And I was kind of the blondest guy you could find, being Swedish and everything in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, the answer was, no, I'm not black. And uh, he canceled. <laughs> you know, but then again, coming to that party, being the only white person there probably, uh, would not have been that nice either. So, uh, that must have been a pr- pretty weird question to get. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's the way it was. <laughs> 
Um, so you've worked in the States and you've worked in Stockholm as well. Have you noticed that there's a big difference between the two when it comes to gender equality? Well, it was a long time ago since I was in the States. It, it might have changed, but but in the, in the US it was very much, you know, you, you get the person you want for the position, period, uh, regardless. And many times in many businesses, it, it, it was just all men or some businesses were primarily women. Uh, the radio business, usually it was it was all men, sales sales office, promotion managers, uh, uh, top management, uh, some women, but you know usually presenters, um, a few salespeople. But it was very the radio business was very much you know uh, men men men. It was the the male morning show host mm-hmm. with a maybe a female co-host. Mm-hmm. But that's the way the business looked like. Why do you think that was? Uh, nobody really paid attention to it you know it wasn't an issue do you think it's the type of thing that people pay attention to in Stockholm they do absolutely I mean I, I believe Sweden and 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 Stockholm for sure is is one of the you know leading places in the world when it comes to to gender equality I, I'm very sure of it Nowhere was unaffected by Me Too, and the entertainment industry particularly has had a lot of bad press. What are you doing to protect MTG's reputation? Well, first of all, discuss it. And we looked through everything. I mean, even back, I mean, things surfaced that happened years ago. And we looked through our organization to try to see, if, is there anything that, you know, that, that might come up? Uh, it kind of pointed out a problem that that nobody really thought about people were making jokes people were you know we it was the way you know we did things and me too kind of said well there has there has been people here that didn't really think all these jokes were that funny uh there have been uh, excuse me the language is like assholes uh that had kept on being assholes for a long time and we just had to, to, to look through the organization and say, do, do we have any of these problems? Uh, and if so, we need to handle them, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. Even if they're old, we need to look through why did it happen? Has it been cleared out? Uh, who were involved? Uh, and in the next step, what can we do uh, to make sure it doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. So what have you done to ensure it doesn't happen again? Uh, now we have a code of conduct that everybody has to sign. Everybody that that are employed or uh, will be employed has to sign a code of conduct. We put it on paper that these are the rules we play by. And this is what we expect and this is how we, we believe that you should treat your colleagues and your and employees and, and managers. It doesn't matter which way it goes, up, down, sideways. You know, we're at a workplace where we need to get along and respect each other. Mm-hmm. And those are our code of conducts, basically. Could you share any other examples of what MTG has done to increase gender equality within the company? Well, every time we we employ people, we make sure that we look through the organization. You know, uh, how does it look? You know, where do we have anywhere where it's more men, more women? Uh, uh, do we have a balance? Uh, what kind of balance are we looking for? Uh, to get to, to 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 get a dynamic organization, and it's not just gender. 
it, it, it is race, it, it is it, uh, sexual preference, everything, everybody comes with different perspectives. And in, in order to get a dynamic organization, you need everybody. You need people from other countries. You need you need uh, 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 men, women, uh, uh, straight people, gay people. You know that that's the dynamics, mm -hmm. and that's how I believe you get an organization that that actually can 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 prosper and and come up with new creative fun things. That that if you just have an organization with white men. It's going to be very boring. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get many listeners among, you know, women. Yeah, you get a much so, more diverse set of ideas coming to the table. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so every time we, you know, we're looking to employ people, we we look through what is it that we need and how how can we get a balance. Mm -hmm. uh, but we we recently uh, hired a lot of uh, uh, new salespeople. We got 45 applicants into women. <laughs> And and it's uh, we realize that you know we look through it, did we did we post this in the wrong way was it something in 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 our uh, uh, language you use yeah the language the adult, we use yeah. sort of it but but no it was just uh, there were more men being interested in becoming salespeople at a radio station I guess mm. why do you think that is though. I don't know. I would encourage. I, I, we have actually our sales organization is very. I think it's like 50-50, uh, without knowing the exact numbers. But our 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 our, our women salespeople are. You know, they're the best. They're the best. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to discredit guys, but they're. You know, they're really good. Yeah. So, would you describe MTG as a woman's place? I would, yeah, uh, absolutely. Thanks to everyone for listening. This has been A Woman's Place.